Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Uh, exciting episode today. I am very excited about having a guest today, Pastor Mac Woody. And Pastor Mac Woody, I've listened to some of his sermons on the subject of prophecy. I, by chance, came across one of his a while back on um, Daniel's 70th week. And I started listening to it, thinking I was going to be uh, upset from hearing the typical nonsense that you hear about Daniel's 70th week. And I proceeded to listen, and I'm like, wow, who is this guy? I agree with everything he's saying about this. This is really good. And so started listening to some more of his stuff and uh, noticed that he came from a historicist position, which is a position that I didn't even really know anything about a few years ago at all. Uh, it's not something I've looked real deeply into, but from listening to his message, I found it intriguing, interesting, and it's uh, something I have a lot of questions about. And um, and as you know, on this program, this is not just about me getting on here and telling everybody what I think and that I'm right on everything. Uh, I have questions like anyone else. I am not an expert on Bible prophecy. I don't know if anybody really is. And um, I think there are discussions that need to be had about different things. And so I think this is an interesting subject. And so I really appreciate uh, Pastor Woody coming on the program uh, with me today to talk about this. So Pastor Woody, if you would uh, could just maybe take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry. Well, thank you for allowing us to be on your program today. And I thought it was interesting how that we came across each other's paths concerning the uh, conference that we were in at Paul Paul, Michigan back last year. But as far as our ministry is concerned, I've been preaching since 1975 and uh, been in uh, church planning. So we've been in the ministry now, I, I believe, uh, about 47, 48 years and been church planning. Uh, we've started churches across the country. And uh, to, right now we're located in the upper peninsula of Michigan in the Marquette area. And we started the Shiloh Baptist Church. And we've been in this facility now. We built a building and we've been here since uh, 2002. We came to the upper peninsula in 1997. We left Texas. We had an aviation ministry and we started churches all through the southwest of Texas and as well as Wyoming. So we have uh, a few churches under our belt that we've left behind. And uh, But being here, we uh, have attempted to start other churches in the peninsula area. There's 15 counties here, and uh, that was our desire. And uh, we also have a ministry, connected ministry, uh, Shallow Films. And this is the full-length motion pictures that we do concerning Baptist history. And we have uh, Obadiah Holmes, when he was whipped in 1651, the title of the film, As With Roses, uh, The Over Mountain Men 1, Over Mountain Men 2, and we're now working on Over Mountain Men 3. These are all based on historical facts concerning Baptist heritage and history. And also The Trial of Your Faith. We, uh, I don't know if I sent you some videos. I, I don't recall. I might have. I don't remember. But uh, we have The Trial of Your Faith, and this is based on history as well. Uh, where we go, uh, actually the filming takes place here in our church auditorium, 
And it's about a pastor who is uh, dealing with issues of the modern day. And he walks into the auditorium and it goes black and white. And he finds himself in the darkness and there's a trial and he's on trial for his faith. And witnesses are called from the grave. And they, uh, so it's a big court scene that takes place. And he, uh, you know, through this uh, realizes the error of his way. And, um, and so many people call themselves Baptists, which should not because there's a secession that, uh, uh, or succession that comes with that being a Baptist. And um, so history has always been a, an important part of our ministry. And uh, then we just finished the uh, Red Herring. Uh, that's another uh, video, but that's shallow films that we have done for, I think since 2005. And uh, so we uh, also teach and we have our camp meeting every year. It's the Church Planners Baptist Preservation Camp Meeting in June, uh, the second week of June. And so we uh, teach on the historic view of the prophecy because, because we focus on history uh, as well as doctrine. And you can't really understand doctrine unless you know history. You have to understand some things that have happened in the past. And so that kind of leads, leads us into the historic view. And uh, so we have held that view. I've not always held a historic view. Like many other independent Baptist people, they were weaned on the uh, the Darby idea of a secret rapture. Chapter four, Revelation brings us into the uh, you know the, the tribulation period divided in half, and the temple rebuilt in Revelation uh, chapter eleven, and and so forth. But when uh, back in the um, early two thousands. I read a book by uh, D.B. Ray, Baptist uh, Succession, and understanding the some concepts of uh, you know of these uh, truths, these doctrines, began to turn my perspective around on the uh, the prophecies uh, that are in existence. And when you look at the history of it, the um, the three views you have: you have the uh, preterist view, you have the historist view, then you have the uh, uh, futurist view. And the futures view and the preterist view both were were um, what you'd understand historically as a, a counter reformation because the papacy now was in the crosshairs of prophecy, and that's where these came from. Uh, so that's where we're at in our who I am and what this this uh, I believe this interview today is about. So okay, uh, any other questions? Just let me know. Yeah, yeah. So Shiloh Films, is there a website or a YouTube channel where people can watch these videos or are these something you can order? Uh, yes, uh, Shiloh, uh, uh, shilohfilms.org. Okay. Uh, I believe it's org, Shiloh Films. And then, of course, our website is shilohweb.org. Okay. And the link is on there as well. But okay. uh, shilohfilms.org, and you can, you can see the, uh, the, the website there and uh, so we, we always have uh, uh, people of like faith help us uh, film. And so the Over Mountain Man 3, the history behind the, uh, the independence uh, with Schubel Stearns. Many people have not heard of Schubel Stearns. Uh, you have the different uh, uh, preachers, the Sandy Creek Revival, and where many Baptists uh, came from that have a connection to that today. And uh, so we deal with the uh, regulators uh, started in Southmont, North Carolina, was out of a Baptist church, uh, the Jersey church. 
uh, the, the war of the regulators dealing with Tryon and then the over mountain men that were forced to leave their homes to go to the mountains of Tennessee. And, and then you have uh, the over mountain men coming back there to Kings Mountain to fight Ferguson. That began the end of the war and uh, brought independence uh, to the United States. And then with John Leland uh, in the picture and the uh, First Amendment that was a product of, uh, of our Baptist forefathers and the liberty that we have, a lot of folks don't realize, understand that a Baptist preacher, John Leland, met with James Madison at, uh, at uh, Leland's home, and there they drafted the First Amendment, and that is a Baptist Amendment. That Leland was able to get all of the Baptists in Virginia uh, behind it, and so it was ratified. So we are living with the blessings of that amendment. So our filming ministry deals with it's not documentaries, uh, although we do have some, but it's full-length motion uh, picture that deals with drama, and uh, you know it's a movie. It's not a, a boring documentary, but it is a movie. And okay. uh, so with that, yeah, that's very interesting. I'll leave the links uh, for those websites in the description. I'd be very interested in seeing those. Uh, I, I think Baptist history is interesting. Uh, that'd be a, probably a conversation we should have again in the future sometime. Uh, talking about that because most Baptists don't know much about their history. And I even myself don't know as much as I probably should when it comes to that. But back to the, yeah, the subject of historicism. So you mentioned the preterism and futurism. I think most people are familiar with those terms, uh, but the historicism term, a lot of people aren't familiar with. And so could you maybe give us, um, you know, a rough, or a brief, I guess, definition of what historicism is. All right, let me uh, explain the, you know, how terminologies come into existence, uh, such as you had the First Testament, the Bible, and it then was called the Old Testament because the uh, New Testament comes along. So you have the First Testament, now is the New. So based on things that come along, we begin to identify them that way. Of course, the scriptures identify it that way. As an example, then we, we see as another example concerning uh, his, historism or historicism. Uh, it, it was in existence in the early days, and we have to understand that uh, ancient fathers of the early church Christianity, like Irenaeus, uh, uh, these men in sec first or uh, second century, uh, they as well were trying to figure out. Uh, what John was meaning concerning what he wrote in the Revelation. And, and of course, as Daniel, in the book of Daniel, as it says, that uh, knowledge shall increase as men run to and fro. And what he was saying is that through time, Daniel, uh, the knowledge and understanding of these prophecies will be more revealed. And that, that's what happens in time. Uh, but uh, later in the 12th century, you begin to see uh, a movement as uh, with, there was a Catholic, uh, his name was uh, Joachim Fourier, uh, French. Uh, and of course, he got his information somewhere, but he was calling the papacy the Antichrist. And of course, when uh, the scriptures now were more readily available in the hands of people, people reading the scripture, uh, you'll find that now they realize that the Antichrist is the papacy of Rome. And that's what um, Roger Williams believed it. Uh, he taught it uh, as as well as uh, um, 
Peter Waldo, you'll have uh, other, let me see, I'm t- uh, even in the Protestant sector, you have uh, Whitfield, you have Finney. They all believe that the papacy was the Antichrist. And so as part of the uh, uh, counter-reformation, you have two men, Alcazar, and uh, he's, he's the one that um, developed the uh, preterists, uh, the pre-events of the revelation that all of it was fulfilled in 70 AD. So that allows the papacy to escape the condemnation. And then uh, Ribera, he's another Jesuit in the Counter-Reformation who comes with the uh, futurist idea. Either way is to shield the papacy of Rome because he's under immense uh, pressure and uh, heat from, from what the scriptures now are revealing that people realize that he is the Antichrist. Now the, the historist view has always been in uh, the the belief system. When you look at Clement of Rome, these different men, Irenaeus, as I've already mentioned, Tertullian, you read what they have uh, spoken concerning the uh, prophecies to, to come to fruition. Uh, this is what they see and understand. And so when we look in the Revelation from the historist uh, point of view, it's divided up into three sections. You have uh, the seals, you have the trumpets, and you have the vials. Uh, the seals are dealing with uh, the rider on the white horse. You have the first three. The, the rider on the white horse is uh, uh, referring to Christ wearing a crown, given a bow without violence. The kingdom of God is expanding. And, and this ties into the prophetic uh, announcement, what Daniel spoke concerning there in Daniel 2, as well as Daniel 9. Daniel 2.44, that the day of these kings, referring to the Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And uh, this is the kingdom then that was appointed in the church in Luke chapter 22, 29, and 30. As the father of the appointed me a kingdom, I appointed unto you. And so the church now has become the divine executor of Christ's kingdom, his New Testament, as he ascends into the heavens itself, fulfilling the uh, parable where he was talking about Artulius in that parable where he went to receive a kingdom for himself. And so there, as you'll read in Daniel 7, it talks about the Son of Man going before the Ancient of Days. And that's where he received the kingdom. And of course, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, expecting until his enemies become his footstool. So the church is the New Testament depository of the kingdom. Every kingdom has laws and ordinances, power, authority, subject, and dominion. And so this is the kingdom teaching that every church is basically an embassy and uh, executing Christ's laws. And uh, we're not here to take over the world. Christ will do that when he returns. And so the historist view is uh, that's what it is. And so when you look at the seals, uh, the last seal uh, or the sixth seal is the end of the Old Testament economy. When you read there in chapter six, how the moon or the sun is dark and the light of Israel goes out, the moon is turned to blood, the stars of heaven fall. Jesus spake concerning that in Matthew 24. These are referring to the elders of Israel, the moon being darkened. That's referring to no longer will the nation of Israel be able to have their uh, uh, feast according to the lunar calendar. It's all gone. It passes away. And uh, that is what the seals deal with. And then you have the trumpets. Now, the trumpets and the vials are identical. If you're to lay them side by side, you see trumpets have always been for proclamation, whether it be for war or uh, an event to come. Chapter 11 is smack in the middle. And this is an overview of the uh, of the Old Testament economy ending, where it says measure the temple, the people, and the altar. And when you look in the scripture, you'll find the Bible explains that it's the measuring of their shame. 
And for that reason, they're to cease to exist. And this is suffering the vengeance that Jesus spoke of in the book of Luke. And so when uh, you see chapter 11, and at the end, you'll have the trumpet sound, which is the last trumpet. And that's when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. So this is when the millennial reign begins and Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. So then you get into the vials. These are now the implementation of what was proclaimed. And uh, so this is the time to come upon the nations of the world. And then Christ returns in chapter 19. So this is a view, when you look at the historist view, we, we are living through prophecy as, as all people have done, whether it be Daniel, they live through it. It's all in the future when it was given, but they live through it. And so when we look at the six seals, they're over. It concluded with the destruction of Jerusalem. And then you have the sealing of the witnesses. And that's a poetic prophecy concerning uh, the sealing and the witnesses of the 144, 12 is the number of government, 1,000 is uh, referring to the duration of his millennial reign. And so when you have the 144,000, it goes back to the 12 tribes. Now, Dan's not mentioned in this, if I remember right, but you look at the, uh, uh, Jesus said there in the regeneration, he, all, he said that you'll sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is his government in the regeneration and how it is set up. He'll be in Jerusalem in the tabernacle that he builds when he returns, not before, according to the scripture. And then the 12 thrones are the government structure and all of us that are worthy to rule and reign with Christ will rule and reign under one of those thrones as that will govern the entire world as his, uh, as his government now will fill the whole earth and he'll rule with a rod of iron. He has made us kings and priests. And that's why the rewards are position-based, not, re uh, not possession where we have the five crowns and we'll rule and reign with him if we're worthy. And uh, so the uh, 144,000, that refers to two things, government and duration of that government. And then we get into the, uh, uh, the, the seventh seal, which is the opening of the first trumpet. Now, these are the proclamation of what's coming. And then the vials are one that's poured out. And so the historist view, you can look back in time and you can see when these things happen. And it's more difficult to look into the future. But uh, we come to Revelation 13 as an example, and this is where the historicists uh, look at it. You have two Bs. Now, we have to remember concerning prophecy. Prophecy always goes from east to west. When you look in the beginning, when these prophecies began, uh, we look at this uh, uh, image there in Daniel 2. We have the head of gold. That's Babylon. It's going to fall to Persia. That's silver. And it goes a little further east, or, or it's heading west, but it uh, goes from east to west as the sun rises. And then you have the, the, the Persians fall to the Greeks. There we go from east to west a little more. Then you go from east to west. Now the Roman, the Roman Empire is in dominion. So the ten toes, the partitioning of this Roman Empire that the Bible speaks of, and this is what the ancient fathers understood, and this is what became Europe, the ten toes in Europe back in those days. And this is the beast coming out of the sea, uh, and which is the mass of humanity. And then we have another beast coming out of the earth. Let me back up about the first beast. It talks about its, its head being wounded. And then again, we talk about a year uh, as a day. And that's how the whole premise of Daniel is set up concerning the 70 weeks. It's a year for a day. And when you look in 538 AD, that's when the uh, papacy of Rome as a uh, the papacy was uh, 
under bondage and delivered, I think, by uh, Pepin. Uh, and he was now made ruler over all churches in 538. And then later on, of course, he became more political, the papacy of Rome. But in 798, which is 1,260 years, which uh, we look at 1,260 days, that's when he was arrested by Napoleon. So this is the wound uh, that he received in the head. And so this is where the papacy lost its strength as it has had for all these years in the Dark Ages. And so another beast is coming out of the earth, which is out of the, which uh, we're seeing today, I believe. And so I say all this to help us understand the historic view of understanding and seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. So that's the, the historic view. So sorry for going on so long, but that's no. what that was. No, it's very fascinating. And, um, and, you know, probably blown a lot of people's minds, but you answered a few of the questions that I had. So I kind of want to just make sure I'm following everything. Cause uh, one thing too, that I noticed as you're explaining all this stuff, while it makes sense as far as, you know, I'm seeing a consistency in what you're saying. Um, you know, most people, when they first hear this, we've not looked into these historical things, um, nor do we necessarily have a book in front of us where we can fact check these things. We're used to when somebody preaches scripture, fact checking it just with scripture. Well, the, because of the fact that, um, you know, some, all these things happen after the writing of scriptures, you know, it is, it's one of those things where it's made it easy for people to just use the Bible and then they're not using history. They're really only using their opinion and on how they think things are going to play out. And so, you know, people who are like, you know, you can't show me that in the Bible. Well, the thing is, we can't really show for sure our opinion of how we think things are going to play out in the future in the scriptures either. So I do think there's something to be said for, you know, listening to people and, um, you know, seeing what documentation they have to show these historical fulfillments. And are there any uh, books that you could recommend or good sources to just kind of, um, you know, look at these historical records along with, you know, what the Bible says? Uh, the books that I acquire, these are going to be old books, and you could get PDF versions of them, such as Arrhenius or the writings of Tertullian. And and I, I suppose it's an, it's uh, it's beneficial to know who these people are that exist and uh, so I've accumulated these things over over time, and I've been accused of preaching history books rather than scripture, but that's not true. Uh, we need history to understand the scriptures, it is an example. When we look at uh, Daniel, the prophecy of the 70 weeks, and or in Daniel 2, where it talks about the image of Nebuchadnezzar, there's nowhere in the Bible that says all that was fulfilled we verify it by history mm -hmm. we have the proclamation of the prophecy and then we look at history to verify that uh, babylon nebuchadnezzar his empire it fell to the persians and the persians fell to the greeks alexander the great and then it fell to rome and then we have uh, the ten toes being partitioned into the ten nations and then we have the man of sin sitting in the church of god saying he is god and this is the the papal blasphemy and so history verifies the fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, how can the 
how can the Bible, uh, you know, unless you're talking about like Jesus, the prophecy of his birth, and then the Bible tells of his birth. But, you know, when you come to the prophecy like Daniel's 70 weeks, uh, you know, that's going to be verified by history. Mm-hmm. And and the, the problem is we don't know history. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we use history. And, mm-hmm. and I think when you get attacked for, for talking about history and that's all you preach is history, I think what you're what, what really is happening is a projection of insecurity that people don't know it. So they don't know how to respond to it when it right. shakes the foundation of their belief system. Well, everyone preaches, every futurist preaches history too, because when they go through Daniel, they'll talk about the Greek empire. They'll talk about Antiochus epiphanies. They'll discuss all those things that are not recorded in the scriptures. And those events took place within the time frame of when the Bible was written. And so the thing is, when it comes to the things after the book of Revelation was written, you know, you're at least admitting you're going off of history. But in reality, what futurists are doing when they criticize you for saying, hey, look what happened historically. This lines up with this interpretation of the scriptures. What they're typically combating or I guess they're using to debunk you is they're saying, no, this is what I believe the Bible is describing and just wait and see. I'll be right because they don't have anything at all to verify what they're saying about the future is correct, except wait and see, you know, where you're actually just showing, you know, Hey, no, here's some historical record. And obviously historical records don't trump the scriptures, but people's opinion of how something is going to play out doesn't trump the scriptures either or even history necessarily. So I, again, I think one of, one of the things I'm discovering as I allow myself to be challenged by different point of views that I think have some legitimacy to it is how much of what we believe is based on clear scripture and what we believe it's based on speculation. That's just been accepted by many. And, and, you know, when it comes to a lot of these things, it's, we don't have as clear a scripture. We just have strong consensus on certain things, but in the, in the fundamental Baptist world, most of the consensus is dispensational. And you know, and I think that's a terrible teaching, but you know, you know, I, I think you've already confirmed a couple things I wanted to make sure I asked. I want to get to just get you on record, but um, you know, do you believe in a future, and literal resurrection of the dead and return of Christ. Well, absolutely. Uh, we believe in the literal thousand year reign of Christ. He returns, sets foot upon the Mount of Olives and sets up his government for 1000 years. Okay. Not everyone will rule and reign with Christ though. Okay. He said, if you suffer with him, you'll reign with him. If you don't suffer and that word suffer basically means just to continue steadfast and be faithful. And he doesn't make it difficult. And, and you're not teaching somebody if they could lose their salvation, but you're teaching they could lose their position in God's kingdom. Well, that's exactly right. And John even warns us of not of losing a full reward. So yes, uh, no, you, no, uh, the the salvation. At, you see, this is another Protestant thing about losing your salvation. And if you understood history, the question about losing the salvation would never come up because. Basically, you know, you have, they'll say you're either a Calvinist or an Arminianist. Well, that's a Reformation theology. And what it is, it is uh, securing authority in the state. That's the whole idea behind the Catholic Church. 
the state and church are married together. And if you're part of the church, you're a citizen of that country. That's how he became a citizen of Rome, uh, the Roman Empire, the Roman church. And so you had to be baptized and that made you a citizen. And then, of course, you had the ordinances you had to perpetually keep uh, communion. And uh, that was a an outward sign of fealty to the papacy of Rome. Well, these things also were inside of uh, the Reformation of the Protestants like Calvin. And of course, his idea of uh, election, his understanding of it is either you're in or you're out. And you need to be part of the church, and that's where salvation is. It's in the church. And Arminius was of light mind. He also was a Calvinist, just like Luther and their idea of a state church. But Arminius, he believed in a lower-level church, that when you leave the federal level, you go to the state level, so to speak. So when you leave the, the, the federal level of church, you lose your salvation because you're out of the church. But when you join the lower-level church, like Arminius got, then you're saved again. So this is where that concept of saved, lost, saved comes from. And because we live in America and we don't have that state church anymore, it now becomes the mystical concept where, oh, if you do something wrong, you lose your salvation. But if people understood history and where that came from, they would really never consider that. Uh, people know if they're saved or not, and God knows. And uh, so if there's never been a repentance and conviction of sin, we know that we belong to him by the spirit that's in us. And so the salvation aspect, of course, we believe in the eternal security of the believer. And uh, the, the difference uh, between a, a futurist uh, view and you have the, the historist view, uh, they we, we agree a lot on history up until the last week of Daniel's 70th week. And that's where they put it into 2000 years from now or right. when, you know, but there's, because, you know, I used to teach the, um, the Darby theory. I mean, that was the first thing. Matter of fact, I have in my library here, right here, let me just grab it. I think I got it. It's uh, the book I had uh, from Clarence Lark and I bought back in the seventies. Um, I got it somewhere on my shelf, but anyway, um, I, I taught, I, uh, was it this one? Uh, well, that's part of it, the dispensational truth. So I'm familiar with all of that, and I taught it. I mean, I've been preaching since 1975, and so th this this is uh, this understanding I came to on my own. I never understood the revelation, even though I was teaching it the way the dispensations taught it. And I know there's dispensations in the Scripture. The Bible uses the word, and so I'm not afraid of the word. But uh, let me let me show you an example. You know, people uh, they always say. Well, I believe the Bible, and my response is, "Well, I don't. I just preach heresy, and I know I, I know I don't believe it." You know, that's a ridiculous thing. Uh, you know, who doesn't believe the Bible? Right. You know, we all believe it. It's just do we understand it? Mm -hmm. Now, when we look at the, and I've asked the question to those, and I wrote them, and they will not respond to me, and I simply ask them this. Now, when you look at the uh, the captivity of of Jerusalem or the Israelites when they when Jerusalem was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Jeremiah told them that they would be in prophecy or they would be in bondage for 70 years. And then they would go home, but there were three phases in that move. The first phase, they had the rebuilding of the temple. The second phase, when the Jews went back, they had the restoration of uh, their religious practices. And then the third final phase, when they would leave the Babylonian captivity, is when they would rebuild the walls in the city. 
And so from that time, he said, uh, 70 weeks are determined. Now that's 490 years, 70 weeks are determined. Now, when you read verse 24, I see, let, let's not make this complicated. When you read verse 24, it says that, uh, let me just get my Bible out and just read it real quick. So I don't misquote it, but I'm going to go to Daniel, uh, chapter nine, and I'm going to read verse, uh, 24 here. Okay, so this, and I and I and I do this methodically. As I, I see now, let's let's look at this as it says. It says here, seventy weeks are determined. In other words, four hundred ninety years. Now, the seventy weeks are going to be divided in seven sixty-two, and then three and a half, three and a half, which makes a total of seventy. Now, I asked the question. I said, now seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, which are the Jew, and upon the holy city. All right. So if I or if I were to draw a line, if I were to draw a line and put brackets, I don't know if you can see that, but if I draw a line and put brackets on each side, I say 70. Let me use my magic marker. I say 70 year, uh, 70 uh, weeks. So 70 weeks are determined. All right. Very simple. 70 weeks. That's the 490 years. So we have a beginning. And we have an ending. Now, here's the uh, here's the key. When I say, all right, now look, you got 70 weeks. So you got beginning here, and then you have the ending. All right, so the 70 weeks are determined. What's now 70 weeks are determined, and here's what happens. He says, um, number one, to finish transgression. Number two, to make an end of sins. Number three, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Uh, make it our uh, reconciliation for iniquity. Number four, bring an everlasting righteousness. Number five, to seal up the vision. Number six, to anoint the most holy. All right, so 70 weeks are determined. So this must be accomplished within the 70 weeks. That's got to be. So did it happen in the first seven weeks when the rebuilding of the walls and the street took place? Well, no. Well, how about the 62? Well, no, because that was years of silence and the the prophecies ended. So when you add 62 and seven, you have 69. So if they were not fulfilled in the 69, what week will those six points be uh, established in? They'll say, well, it's in the 70th week. Well, my question is, as a futurist, you say the revelation is the seventh week of Daniel, is the seven-year tribulation. Where in the revelation is there an end of sins? Where in the revelation has it been fulfilled? Um, uh, bringing an everlasting righteousness, where in that uh, seven-year period uh, is uh, their, uh, uh, let's see, uh, reconciliation for iniquity uh, or make reconciliation for transgression? Where in the revelation does that happen? You can't find it. It's not there. Well, if it didn't happen, then we're men most miserable because these refer to the work of Christ on the cross. Mm -hmm. So Christ was crucified after, it said, after the 69th week, he was cut short. So he was, we understand his ministry was three and a half years. That's the first part of the last week. And that is when he confirmed the covenant with many. Now, with the futurists, what they do, they say this is the Antichrist. It isn't the Antichrist. It's the prophecy being fulfilled what Jeremiah said. After those days, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. That's in Jeremiah 31, 31. Paul also goes over this in Hebrews chapter 8, where he, in verse 10, he said uh, there in, uh, are, are we, we got a frozen frame there. We good? Uh, yeah, we're good. 
Okay. But there in chapter 8 of Hebrews, he talks about the same thing. After those days, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Then in chapter 9, he talks about this covenant, which means testament, that Christ, not by the blood of goats and bulls, but by his own blood, entered once he into the holy place, having obtained a redemption for us. Now, this is the make an end of sins, reconciliation for iniquity. This is bringing in everlasting righteousness and the anointing of the most holy. Uh, you read there in Acts 4, uh, God anointed him. He was the most holy. And some will say, well, that's the temple. Well, didn't Jesus say, destroy this temple in three days? I'll raise it up again, talking about his body. He is the temple and uh, that the scriptures are referring to. So my question is, you have to do some twisting of scripture to get revelation there to show these six points. They have to be fulfilled. And th this is the redemption of man, and where is it found in the book of Revelation? These things occur, and they will not respond because they have no answer for it. What they have done is they've carved away the last week and threw it in the future, when in reality, Christ made this covenant with the whole house of Israel, and that's what he did. And uh, he said, I am sent to the house of Israel, and that New Testament covenant was made with the house of Israel. That's what uh, was declared to Abraham uh, that in, in uh, I believe, Galatians 3, he talks about this uh, covenant uh, that was confirmed in Abraham 430 years before Moses yep. uh, and the New Testament covenant. So and so this is where when some talk about, are you mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib? I say I'm none of them because the revelation is not the 70 week of Daniel. Right. Because that's the way your idea comes from, like you're going to be raptured in pre-trib chapter 4, mid-trib chapter 11, or, you know, right in chapter 19. Well, if it's not the 70th week of Daniel, that tribulation doesn't exist as far as the uh, great tribulation that they're trying to refer to. So I'm none of them. So I'm, I'm, I know there's tribulation. I mean, how tribulation can you get when you look at the dark ages that happened to our Baptist forefathers? I mean, they were drowned, flayed alive, burned alive, and all these things that happened to them. I mean, it's horrendous and horrible. Uh, but as far as that terminology, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-trib, it doesn't exist. It's all based on a premise of faulty understanding. Right. I Yeah, and that's the thing about Daniel's 70th week. That when Once you get a hold of the fact that, no, it's like it says, it's about Jerusalem. When you right. realize that the those prophecies are messianic, not about the Antichrist, I mean, then it it really does change a lot for you. And... And so that's kind of more where my mentality is, is when I look at Old Testament prophe prophecies, I understand those things are mainly fulfilled. I'm mainly focused on what the book of Revelation says when it comes to things uh, that are future for us. And so, but if you're from a dispensational background, and even many people in like the post-tribulational pre-wrath camp, they still have a very uh, dispensational mindset in the sense of, Larkin in his charts, you know, he created his chart where you've got, the, you know, Daniel's 70th week, and then you have the seals, vials, and judgments. And in your, you know, pre, mid, and post-trib camp, they mainly just argue about, they all agree that those things are all future. They just argue about where the rapture fits in there. So I guess for you, if you're looking at the, the dispensational Clarence Larkin's charts with the seals vials and judgments not worrying about the rapture so much or the return of christ do you see what events that are included in there do you see as still 
yet to come besides the resurrection and return of Christ. Do you believe we're in one of the trumpets or vials right now? What's your position on that? Well, when when you look in uh, Revelation 11, that is an overview of basically the uh, the existence of the New Testament economy and the witnesses down to the witnesses and the death of the witnesses and the resurrection, the revival of them and uh, the calling up. That's our gathering together. Now, the term rapture, I don't have a problem with it, but then I do have a problem with it because of its association. When you say, I, I like to call it our gathering unto him mm-hmm. and it is appearing in kingdom. So when Christ returns uh, to the earth in Zechariah 14, as well as Revelation 19, and he sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives, that's when he sets up his government. He judges the nations. He sets up the government. He then builds his tabernacle in Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David is what it's called. So the scriptures don't talk about another rebuilding of a temple like people are looking for because uh, they're taking things out of uh, prophetical sequence and they're throwing it into the future. And But as far as our gathering together unto him, uh, that happens when he comes and sets foot upon the Mount of Olives. That's when we're gathered unto him and you'll have the glorification of the body at that point in time. That's how I understand the scripture. Okay. So you think that's the next event to come then? So, Well, there, there are prophetical events uh, that, that transpire. When you read the uh, book of Ezekiel and, uh, you know, as well as Amos, uh, and, you know, Micah and these different uh, scriptures. I believe uh, there are things that will shortly come to pass. And in the Revelation, he says, you know, write the things which were, which are, and which are to come. And the dating of the Revelation is important. I believe the Revelation was written in uh, probably around 68 AD. It was written before the fall of Jerusalem. Um and when you when you understand and study out when the revelation was written, you'll find that there's only one reason why 95 is selected. It's a it's a comment that Arrhenius made, but there's much more evidence that the revelation was written pre uh, fall of Jerusalem. Okay. And uh, and and so go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know what? That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. So what we're going to do? Because uh, first off, this is super interesting. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of people from my camp, their heads are exploding because, you know, they're they're hearing things that they doesn't necessarily line up with, uh, you know, what I teach. But again, I'm not 100 percent sure about, you know, I'm right on everything, nor am I 100 percent sure you're wrong on what you're saying. I find it interesting and I've learned a lot just from some of the things you've mentioned about the position, things that I wasn't sure of. Um, I, I wasn't sure if historicists believed in a literal millennial kingdom. I know, I now know you are. I, I guess you would fit in the pre-millennial camp as well um, when it comes to these things. And so I, I'm, I'm learning a lot. And, and so I do, I have more questions. So what we're going to do, we are going to uh, cut this off for today's program. But tomorrow, I want everyone to make sure you watch for part two. I know this is blowing your mind. But this is this is good stuff and uh, very interesting, very fascinating. And so we are going to start off tomorrow's program about the dating of Revelation because that's something I've been looking into. And that is a very important uh, thing to understand or to prove one way or the other.
And so I'm, I'm still listening and learning on when it comes to that. I've got my opinions, but I'm looking forward to uh, discussing that on tomorrow's show. So hang on. And I know you're probably hating that I'm cutting this off right now, but we're going to do it. And so uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. Thank you for watching.